invite you to open up to our scripture passage today. We're back in the book of Luke, and we're looking at Luke 8, 40 through 56. Luke 8, uh, 40 through 56. Luke 8, starting in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman who was was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and, and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, a synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child... Get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. We pray that you would take your word and by the power of your spirit, Make it a living word in our hearts that it would, in in effect, build us up to look more like Christ, Father, that we would not just hear words, but these words, by the power of your Spirit, would transform our lives this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Who here has ever felt like time is really dragging on? In the children's message, I expected some of the kids to say, Every time I preach, right? (laughs) I remember as a kid, church services were the longest hour of my life sometimes. Have you ever been in a situation where it feels like an hour has passed and then you look down at your watch and realize, oh, it's only been three minutes? Time is kind of funny like that, right? Time is something we can measure and measure very specifically, and yet our experience of it can vary drastically depending on what, what is going on. You can be having fun and hours fly by, or you can be stuck in mandatory training and it feels like someone poured molasses into the clock's wheels. 
Not too long ago, I listened to this podcast, I think it was Radiolab, where it talked about why we experience time differently. And it said that one of the, you know, for instance, as many of you know, when you're a kid, summer break feels like forever and it's wonderful. And when you're an adult, by the time you sit down to plan what you're going to do for summer break, you realize it's already over. And part of the reason why that is, is because time is affected by how many new experiences we have. So that it said the more new experiences you have, the slower that time tends to feel, but in a good way. It's why time feels slower when you're a kid, because everything is new, and why time speeds up so fast when you're an adult, because nothing is new. And so one of the recommendations it it made, which I thought was helpful, was to try to, especially the older you get, intentionally do some new things. Drive a different way home from work. Try a new recipe. Change up your typical Saturday routine, and, and you'll discover maybe you feel a bit more like a kid. And in our passage today, what I want us to see is that Jesus also experiences time much differently than we do. He has a different sense of time than us. He's not operating on our timeline. Now, this is very frustrating a lot of the time, right? Because it feels like Jesus is taking his sweet time. And yet what we see is that he is in control of time. Time time limits our options, but Jesus is not limited by time. We're jumping back into our series through the book of Luke called The King Has Come. And what I want us to see is that Jesus will heal all things, but in his own time. Jesus will heal all things, but he'll do it in his own time. And I'm just going to do two things. I want us to walk through the story that we have here and then wrap it up by applying it to us in our life. So Jesus has just returned from the far side of the Sea of Galilee where he was when he healed that demon-possessed man. You may remember him, Legion. And all the demons went out of the man and into this herd of pigs. Now Jesus has crossed back across the Sea of Galilee to his normal stomping grounds, and everyone was there expecting him. They were waiting for him. It's like when there's a a rumor that maybe like Taylor Swift is coming to town, right? And everybody goes out to that hotel where they think her tour bus is going to show up to catch a glimpse of the superstar. Jesus was becoming a star and news of his return had leaked in the community. And so as he gets off the boat, there are crowds of people who are waiting for him to come back. And one of these people was a synagogue leader named Jairus. Now, a synagogue leader, the Jews worshipped weekly in synagogues. They were in some ways like a church community today. In some way, a synagogue leader, I was thinking, is actually a lot like a a Latter-day Saint bishop, where the synagogue leader uh, has another full-time job, but then he also runs the synagogue, and he arranges for people to speak each week, and he's influential within the community, and people know him, and and, and all of these things, and and he was well-respected. But for Jairus, his world was falling apart, because his 12-year-old daughter, his only daughter, is sick. And she's not just sick, she's nearing death. For those of you that have kids, if you've ever had a, a, a child who's severely sick, or maybe a child with ongoing medical issues that they can't seem to figure out what it is, or even a, a significant injury, you know how seeing your child suffer just sinks your gut. 
And this man's 12-year-old little girl is on her deathbed. And they've tried everything that they could think of, and now it's that point where the doctors pull the family to the side and say, we're sorry, but we've got to put her on hospice care. There's nothing more we can do. Let's just make her comfortable and you spend some quality time with her before you have to say goodbye. But Chiris isn't going to take this. He's a man of action. He's not just going to sit there and watch his daughter die. He heard that Jesus is back in the area, and so he does something very risky. He leaves his dying daughter not knowing how much time she has left to go and find Jesus and hopefully persuade him to come back. And yet what if she dies while he's gone? Well, that would be even worse, right? No last chance to kiss her goodbye, to hold her hand while it's still warm. And even though there are thousands of other people trying to get in front of Jesus, Jairus somehow manages to get right in front of him and he falls down on his feet and he starts to beg, Lord, please come. Please, please come. My only daughter's dying. Please come. This is our only hope. And Jesus listens, and so he starts heading out. But the crowd is growing. People are pressing on the other side. He can't just walk there. And in that crowd, we learn there's someone else who has a story. This woman who's had this incurable medical condition. And it's interesting how in some ways these two, their lives are linked. Twelve years ago when Jairus' life lit up with the birth of his daughter is the same time when this woman started to experience a bleed that would plague her for the next 12 years. The Gospel of Mark describes her situation this way, Mark 5, 26. She'd suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. Some of you know that pain. A roller coaster of endless doctor's appointments and seeing one specialist after another for no improvement, growing medical bills, and nothing makes anything better. And in fact, you just feel worse and are poorer for all that you've done. And according to the Jewish laws and culture, this disease, this bleeding, would have made her unclean in the community, particularly if she had a, a uterine hemorrhage, as many commentators suspect. It would mean that she couldn't partake in the normal religious activities. She couldn't come into the temple. She couldn't touch others. She would even likely need to be separated from her husband. This was a sickness that didn't just lead to physical suffering. It was a sickness that cut her off from the rest of the community and even her family. She lived completely alone. And she was in this crowd, but she was likely hiding because she didn't want to be recognized. It was a small town. They all knew about her. And they didn't, she wasn't supposed to be there because she was unclean. She was contagious. She could perhaps transfer her sickness to them in some way, they thought. And here she's hiding in the crowd, but she thinks, if only I can get behind Jesus and grab him and touch him, then I can be healed. And so you can picture the scene where there she's in the crowd. She's made her way close to Jesus. The crowd pushes her forward and she reaches out her hand, but Jesus takes a, another half step forward and she extends her fingers, just let me get a grasp. And she can't reach his cloak, but she gets the corner of it and she touches it. And in that moment, she's immediately healed. Twelve years 
of suffering, isolation, and depression. And like that, she's healed. But then this is where the story gets interesting, because now Jesus stops and he asks this question, who touched me? He's looking around. Everyone's shaking their head. Wasn't me. And then Jesus doesn't say, huh, well, there are a lot of people here. I'll keep walking. No, he, he stops for long enough that the disciples start to feel antsy. And so Peter says, Master, the people are crowding around you and pressing against you. Everybody touched you. What do you mean? How, how can you ask who touched you? It would be like, we could put it this way, that Jesus is in the ambulance on the way to Jairus' dying daughter with the sirens on, and every second counts. But it's rush hour. And so the cars are blocking the road, and it's slow going. And then Jesus sees someone that he, as he's passing him that has a cut, and he pulls over the ambulance and says, hey, guy, I saw, I saw somebody that has a cut. It didn't look like they have a Band-Aid. Can you go grab me a Band-Aid from the medical kit? Let me go put a Band-Aid on this guy's cut, and then we'll continue on. And all the EMTs are like, Jesus, it's a cut. It's a flesh wound. He'll be fine. There's a 12-year-old girl who is dying that we need to get to. And imagine what Jairus is thinking as he watches this scene, right? He's, he's trying not to get antsy, and he's thinking, what do you mean who touched you? Jesus, look, there are thousands of people here. It's like Times Square on New Year's Eve, and you're asking who touched you? And Peter starts to feel that pressure. It's why he speaks up. Jesus, the Band-Aid isn't a priority. Let's keep going. But what does Jesus do? No, someone touched me. I know that power went out of me. And there's more awkward silence as people are looking around. It's kind of like when the teacher says, no one gets recess until someone fesses up about who unrolled all, all the toilet paper. Right? And everyone's wondering who's going to crack first and say they did it. Verse 47, the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. This, this woman was just hoping to get a, a touch of Jesus' cloak from behind and not be noticed at all. And now when the spotlight is on her, she breaks out in a cold sweat. And likely one of the reasons she's trembling is it's not just that she's shy, but she realizes like she's not supposed to be there. Everyone knows that she's unclean. She's been isolated, and now she just stuck herself in the middle of this crowd. It's probably why she wanted to touch the back of Jesus' cloak, just in and out, no one will know, and hopefully I'll be better. But now everybody knows that this unclean woman was rubbing shoulders with the crowd. It was like maybe a year or two ago, right, where she's about to confess, I knew I had COVID, but I still got on the plane. And now it's going to make the news. But Jesus won't let her stay anonymous. And so with a nervous voice, she explains, well, I've been bleeding for 12 years. Nothing's worked. And that's why I touched you. And then when I touched you, I was instantly healed. And you can imagine Jairus and the disciples as they're hearing this, they're like, okay, great. Well, wrap it up, lady. We got to get going. There's someone dying. But Jesus doesn't rush her. He doesn't make her feel like she's less important or that Jesus needs to be somewhere else. He's completely present with her. And he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Jesus wanted to show her that his cloak, it's not like a magic trinket. If you just touch it, you'll be better. 
Many people touched Jesus that day. Not all of them were healed. But she touched Jesus with faith, and she was. But just as after 12 years of suffering, the sun begins to rise on her life again, the lights go out for this 12-year-old little girl. Someone runs up from Jairus' home out of breath. Your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Jesus, if you hadn't stopped to deal with that band-aid, this girl might still have been alive. And here we begin to see that Jesus' sense of time is different than ours. Because what does Jesus say? Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she'll be healed. Now, just believe, frankly, sounds a bit trite. Like, just believe? My daughter's dead. My only daughter, just believe? She'll be healed? You don't heal someone from death. You heal someone from sickness. It's too late for her to be healed. She's dead. And the people feel the same way. Jairus arrives, Jesus arrives at Jairus' house, and they're all wailing and they're mourning because she's gone. This 12-year-old girl, her life cut short, and Jesus says, stop wailing. She's not dead, but asleep. And they just start laughing at Jesus. What are you saying? Are you off your rocker? We know she's dead. Get out of here. You're not helping anything. But Jesus steps forward, grabs this little girl's small hands, leans down and whispers to her, my child, get up. He's using the same language that a mom or a dad would do when you go in early that weekday morning to wake your kids up to get them ready for school. Some of my kids are deeper sleepers than others. For some, I just crack the door and pop, they're up. But others, I've got to go in, walk, sit down, kneel by their bed, brush the hair off their forehead, pull the covers back and say, hey, it's time to get up, and you just start to see them stir. And that's the same language that Jesus is using here, like a tender, loving father reaching down to wake his 12-year-old girl from sleep. And you start to see them stir. Jesus doesn't confront death with a dramatic show. He says, oh, guys, this is going to be a tough one. He's not like a magician stringing the crowd along to impress them with how he can raise a dead girl. No, he confronts death like a tender father who kneels down next to his daughter and tells her it's time to get up. And with those loving words, he reaches down into the grave and he pulls her up. Jesus has no more trouble curing death than he does disease. He can heal you from either. Well, how does this apply to us then? Our second point. Yeah, many of us struggle with understanding the miracles in Scripture because maybe you, one, doubt, did this really happen? Or two, you think, well, maybe it happened back then, but it definitely doesn't happen today, so what good is it for me now? Maybe you've had an illness for 12 years going on 24, and it bankrupts you with all the medical bills, and you're still no better. You have a 12-year-old who's in a car wreck and her body's decomposing in the grave right now. A miracle from 2,000 years ago does me no good when my child is just getting worse and I'm not seeing change or my health is just going downhill. But I want to see in this story, particularly how these two miraculous scenes are kind of sandwiched together, there's something that we can learn. 
Because there's a sense in which all of us are living in that space where Jairus was, when he's tapping his foot, hoping that Jesus would get a move on before his daughter dies. And say, Jesus, hurry up. And then he learns it's too late. Don't bother the teacher. Your daughter's dead. And Jairus' heart falls in that moment. I was an idiot for going. I shouldn't have come. I didn't get to say goodbye to her one last time. I didn't get to hold her hand. She's gone. And Jesus just seemed to take his sweet time and didn't care about me. It's really remarkable what we see Jesus' priorities here. Dick Lucas, one pastor, put it this way. Jesus takes the time to comfort and teach an unclean woman with a chronic problem while he causes a male church leader in urgent need to wait. Jesus' priorities seem flipped from so many of ours. In fact, Jesus seemed even to care about the wrong things. This woman was already healed, if we think about it. She, he, Jesus didn't need to talk with her. She was good. He could have kept on walking, and she still would have been healed, and then maybe my daughter would have been alive, Jairus would think. And that's the space where we live. Why does Jesus wait? Why does he wait to have this conversation to figure out who touched him and then talk to her after she's better, when he could have moved on to help this girl who's dying. Because Jesus was a person who cared for her. He wanted her to know that it wasn't just superstition that saved her, but that it was faith and trust in him is key. Jesus wanted this woman not just to be healed, but to know that she was also loved. And it looks like Jesus thought that lesson was more important than this girl's life. Jesus is working on his own timeline with his own priorities. And boy, that can be really hard for you when it seems like he's just waiting and waiting and waiting. You know, but consider 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. And it can feel like Jesus is taking a millennium to give you an answer. You might die waiting. But God isn't slow to fulfill his promises. He's taking his time because there are thousands, there are millions of people who are like this woman who need to know that Jesus can save her. That Jesus isn't just a trinket, but a person who can transform your life and show that you are loved. And he's waiting because he wants so many more people to know that message of his redemption. And then what about Jairus? Well, Jesus is teaching something to him as well. We see it in his words to Jairus. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Jairus wanted Jesus to work on his own timeline. That's probably the way he went in person. I'm an, I'm an important man. If I go, it'll be more likely that Jesus will listen to me and I can get him to come with me. 
Jairus had a plan, and it involved Jesus, but it involved Jesus working on his timeline. And Jesus is going to show Jairus, I work on my own timeline. And when Jesus doesn't follow that timeline that Jairus had laid out, he gets worried. He gets anxious. He starts tapping his foot. Come on, Jesus. And it's why Jesus tells him, don't worry. One of the reasons so many of us were filled with anxiety, we're filled with worry, hopelessness creeps into our life is because we're kind of like Jairus in this moment. We have a timeline in our head for how we want things to go. Right? For my kid that is struggling, I want to see these things changed. For your relationship that is tense, I want this to change. For that loved one that isn't getting better, for your own health, whatever it is, you have a timeline. God, this is how it could all work out really great. And sometimes it feels like Jesus looks at your timeline and then puts it in the paper shredder. And if we peel back the layers, why is it that we react with worry when things aren't going according to our plan? And part of it is because we're really trying to play God. We're trying to control things. We think we know what is best. And we do a really good job of being convinced that it's really what's best for God as well. So we'll say, oh, I trust God, but really you're only trusting God as far as you can figure out what he's doing and it aligns with what you want. And the moment Jesus isn't following your map, worry wells up. Jesus, you're supposed to take a right turn there, right turn there, not keep going. And we don't really trust God. We don't trust God at the depths of our soul. We trust God maybe with the things that we don't care about, but boy, we don't trust God with the things that are so near and dear to our soul because to trust him means that we think that he has our best interests in mind. And it is really hard for us to believe that about him. I think we tend to think God is kind of like the DMV worker who you wait in line forever just to get up, and now it's your turn, and then they send you back because you had an error in your paperwork. And you feel like that is how God deals with my requests. But Jesus here wants to show you that you can trust him more than all of your plans, You can rest in his character more than your ability to trace out how everything should work and attempts to control and direct what you think should happen. He wants you to realize that you're actually helpless to stop trying to control everything, to stop overthinking every possibility and action that could happen, and instead learn to rest in the timing of the one who actually controls it all. He wants us to repent from that self-righteousness and and that desire to be God and think this is how things need to happen and to learn to rest and how he's going to have things happen. He wants you to have such trust in him that you could even say with Job that impossible saying, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Will you trust him like that? It means you've got to trust his character. It means you've got to trust that he loves you more than you imagine. Will you trust Jesus with your dreams and put them into his hands? Will you trust him with your timeline and say, your will be done? But what does Jesus also show us here? That God's delays in no way keep him from accomplishing his plans. No, Jesus, it's too late. She's dead. 
And it's not like when Jesus hears that, he says, oh, okay, well, this job is going to be a lot harder than I thought. Someone grab the ventilator and the heart pump and, you know, call in for reinforcements. No, he's not phased. He says, oh, it's just like a deep nap. And he walks into her bedroom. He takes her little hand and says, little girl, it's time to wake up. And with those soft, gentle words, he can reach into the pit of death and pull her up into life. It's never too late for Jesus. And we're just living in this era where it feels like Jesus is delaying and he's not answering your prayers and you have these longings and your health isn't getting better and whatever it is. And for some of those things, Jesus will show that actually that thing's not not important. But there are things that are truly important and you're waiting forever for And you might not live to see them change. But Jesus' delay doesn't mean it will not change forever. But one day, he'll make everything right. And we're living in those hours between your daughter is dead and my child get up. And a few hours for God can be a thousand years for us. But Jesus is coming back. And in that moment, he will say, not just to this dead 12-year-old girl, but he will speak to the entire universe, it is time to get up. And it's like he will pull the blanket of death that that covers our world like a dark, thick fog and pull it up and bring resurrection to restore and renew everything. Isaiah 25 is such a beautiful passage that talks about this. God will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. And there he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the world. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all the insults and the mockery against his land and his people. And in that day, we will proclaim, this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. Jesus is going to say to the universe, it's time to get up. And with those words, he'll reach into the deepest pits of death and pull the universe up into a new and beautiful life. And he is preparing a party on that day where every single seat will be filled with all of his people. And all of your tears will be wiped away, never to return again. And all of your heartbreaks will be healed And you will laugh and you will dance and you'll be filled with joy on that day. And you'll realize God really did work everything out. It was never too late for him. And that day is coming no matter what happens today. So will you trust in his timing? Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would help us to trust in your timing, which in some ways, it's probably one of the hardest things that we're called to do. Because time for us marches on and so many things never get fixed. We struggle with the same sins. The people we love never get better.
oftentimes things get worse. And it really does feel like there is a shadow of gloom that blankets our world. And we wonder if we'll ever see the sun again. But Lord, help us to be people of faith. To trust that Jesus is coming no matter how dark it gets. And on that day when he does and when he pulls the universe out from death, everything will be bright and beautiful and we'll have no regrets or tears or bad memories. And so we pray that you would help us to trust Jesus. In his name we pray these things. Amen.